I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of NFL Super Friends here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am one of said NFL Super Friends, the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, where uh, we are coming off the Detroit Lions winning, uh, I guess winning a Monday Night Football game against the lowly Las Vegas Raiders, who could once again not uh, muster much of anything on offense, and uh, friend of the show, not with us this week, 49ers have Evan Swords. Probably got some uh, PTSD watching uh, Jimmy Garoppolo miss a wide open uh, wide receiver deep downfield that could have been a game changing play um, in a big uh, prime time slot. But uh, that is neither here nor there to talk all things NFL and, uh, you know, in the fun stuff. Fellow NFL super friends, JP Acosta of SB Nation is here. JP, good evening, sir. How are you? Doing great from the only uh, only person who's team one this weekend. I mean, you're like, JP's happy. Look, it's good. Uh, the, the Jags are good, and that's fine. And we're going to let him live because who knows? Will Levis want to know as a starter? Is he coming for uh, Trevor Lawrence? We'll we'll find out uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, also here, uh, <laughs> probably not feeling the same uh, after another rough Sunday afternoon for his Pittsburgh Steelers. USA Today, behind the steel curtain, uh, the pump fake, many others. Jarrett Bailey. Jarrett, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm I'm great, you know. When you, uh, I'll, I'll quote um, um, Dodgeball Vince Vaughn's character from Dodgeball. You know, when you have uh, low expectations, you don't get mm. disappointed. And so I, I feel great. I had two parlays that hit this weekend. I almost had another one hit tonight, but I got too cute and uh, bet Jameer Gibbs two touchdowns. So I needed one touchdown for one more touchdown for Jameer Gibbs, and I needed one more Josh Reynolds catch, and it would have been a three parlay hit weekend. But regardless, we're up. And uh, yeah, just just living life, man. It's midway point of the season. We're full head down. And uh, yeah, like I said, 
I had zero expectations coming into this weekend. I'm very happy for JP and his Jacksonville Jaguars for for now owning the longest win streak in the NFL. Their best start since God knows how long. I think what 1999 is is uh, the last time they had a start like this. So good for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Dewey stole a terrible towel and was talking a bunch of smack after. I was I was totally for it. Like the amount of Steelers fans that were just butthurt in their feelings made me laugh and. I was very happy for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I know I'm in the minority when it comes to Steelers fans, but I was I was very happy for them. It's very funny sometimes seeing proud franchises and fans like the Pittsburgh Steelers, and some of their fans just get completely up in arms for losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars, as if the Jaguars are just some like podunk ass team. Like, no, yeah. we're they're really good. And I think the funniest part is the amount of trash that was talked by George Pickens and Deontay Johnson before the game heading into the week. George Pickens called it a hope defense and then had one catch. So, you know, it's just, it's just not great for them right now, you know? And then Rayshon Jenkins. that tweet where the dude was, like, adding Pittsburgh Police Department saying that yes, dude it was Dude, it was that so is funny. the funniest damn thing I have ever seen in my life. Holy hell, that made me laugh. You, he wants the cops called on Kid Rock. That's crazy to me. But it, Jaguars are good, man. They are, dare I say it, they are in the elite tier of AFC football teams. Absolutely. They they might be. Um, well, we'll get into the Jaguars, Steelers, and Falcons a little bit here. Where um, the Falcons also, I would not place in the elite tier um, at this present time. But we start things off. Uh your sports radio leading take of the weekend was what, Jared Bailey? If you're doing morning drive on a Monday morning, what are what are you leading with uh, from the weekend that was in the NFL? That the 49ers just look pretty mid right now. Um, mm. You know, this is this is why it's very cautionary to crown a dude after what ten starts, and now he's kind of come back down to earth a little bit. We've seen what happens to this 49ers offense, like. I think Debo Samuel was kind of take it for granted uh, as of late because mm-hmm. of just how good Christian McCaffrey's been. Uh, Brandon Ayuk has had a really nice year. And I think Debo Samuel kind of became the you know forgotten son of the offense. We're seeing that he's pretty important to the offense right now just because he would always get those like little underneath chunk plays uh, that would keep the chains moving. And his versatility was really important for the 49ers offense. And now that they don't have that right now, we're seeing that, you know, it's, Christian McCaffrey are bust for the most part. And Brock Purdy's not playing good football. And he's made some really bad throws. And the turnover-worthy throws are starting to catch up with him. And it's hurting the 49ers right now. Um, amongst other things, like the defense hasn't been good either. Um, they're, getting, they're getting eaten alive in man coverage. And we saw a nice example of that against the Bengals. Joe Burrow had a fantastic game. He had, he had four incompletions and three touchdowns. So he was having his way with... Everything that the 49ers were throwing at him. He had a play where it just looked like he was spamming the the stick on Madden where he was just in the pocket, like shoved Nick Bosa off of him, shook off Arik Armstead, got out, kept his head up, ate a hit from Fred Warren and still completed a pass um, to a receiver in stride and pretty tight coverage. So it was vintage Joe Burrow, to quote Michael Cole. Um, and the Bengals look like themselves again, which is, you know, the second straight year that we've seen them start off really slow and had everybody up in arms like, oh my goodness, are the Bengals having a little bit of a hangover? And 
you know, for different reasons, obviously. Um, but here they are again, still in the thick of things, fighting their way back. And now they go into this week hosting Buffalo with a chance to be five and three and really just cementing themselves as like, hey, we're still here. You can't get rid of us that easy. Should have killed us when you had the chance. Do you agree, JP? So my actually, actually, my leading take for the week was going to be the Bengals' death was greatly exaggerated. Mm. Uh, you mm. know, this is the team is still really good. At SB Nation, we did a little football court. Uh, I think October fifth, when the Bengals were one and three, say asking whether the Bengals should tank the season. Now I was like, no, because this team is still really good, but they have to be smart with the Joe Burrow injury. If they can just get to the bye week at five hundred, then they're still going to make some noise because Joe Burrow will come back healthy. You're past the bye week and you just throttled the 49ers and the Bengals offense looks like it once did. And it's not just, you know, the the play that Jarrett was talking about with Joe Burrow doing the crazy Joe Burrow things. It's the fact they can get under center and do Mm. under center play action and get into more varied types of run runs under center. You can't run as many run plays out of the shotgun, especially if you don't have like a legitimate Lamar Jackson type threat as a runner at quarterback. Joe Burrow isn't that. So limiting him because of his injury, you're exclusively a shotgun quarterback mm-hmm. and a shotgun offense because he can't move and do play action. That completely cratered their offense. I think through the first six games of the season, Joe Burrow had 15 snaps under center total through the first six games of the season. I guess 49ers, he had 14. So you can tell that offense is now starting to pick back up. You're starting to get back into what the Bengals want to do. And now you're starting to see what the Bengals actually are. We're hoping to do getting into the season. They signed Orlando Brown Jr. to get a little stronger in the run game up front. You start to see Orlando Brown Jr. being pulled on tackle dart plays, getting them up to the second level. And it's not just the crazy Joe Burrow make something happen when there's pressure. It's the timely scrambles where it's third and six and he scrambles for nine, third and eight and he scrambles for 10. Patrick Mahomes is really good at this where every time you think you got him, like it's cover three or cover one and they're running man coverage, he just goes and it's a first down. It's those timely scrambles that really set apart the best quarterbacks in the NFL now. Like you can't just be a statue anymore. So now that Joe Burrow can do that, that unlocks everything for this offense. And now mm. everything's starting to come together. T. Higgins had a great day. Joe Mixon had a great day on the ground. So now the Bengals' death was greatly exaggerated. The defense was still really good. That defense is one of the best in the league in terms of if you have one game to scheme against an opponent, you, there's not many defenses you want outside of Cincinnati right now. So they're still going to be really good. I think – the point that Jarrett made about Debo Samuel, I think Debo Samuel not being in the lineup hurts the 49ers a lot more than people thought it would because they have the Monstars. But what Debo brings is easy offense when the run game doesn't work. The run game is not working right now, especially with Trent Williams out. Those RPOs and screens to Debo Samuel, those are just runs. RPOs are just extensions of the run game. Screens are just extension of the run game. And now that they don't have that easy offense, that efficient offense of Debo screens, now you're relying a bit more on Brock Purdy. And while he made some pretty good throws on Sunday, there were the two interceptions. One of them was just, one of them was kind of eh. The second one was really bad where he didn't see Logan Wilson at all. And the play was just kind of mucked up from the beginning. But the Bengals defense was really, really good 
on Sunday. So that team is still going to be very good. Like I said, they're going into the Sunday night game against Buffalo. They're, they're still one of the best teams in the AFC. Don't count them out, especially with the early season struggles. Once Joe Burrow is back fully 100%, they're going to be tough to beat. I don't think that there's a more underrated unit in football than the Bengals defense because they don't get all the love and the glamour that the offense does. But Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson, Mike Hilton, who might be the best pure nickel cornerback in football, Logan Wilson, like Jermaine Pratt, DJ Reader. These are all just really, really good football players that they have on the defensive side of the ball. And with Lou Anarumo uh, at defensive coordinator, like this is, I think JP kind of pointed out, like if, if you give me one game with a defense, like if I get to choose the defense, the defensive coordinator, it might be Cincinnati right now just because they got a lot of unsung heroes on that team that play their ass off. And when it comes, like DJ Reader is one of the best run stoppers in football, one of the best interior defensive linemen in football. Logan Wilson's having a really good year. And then Hubbard and Hendrickson off the edge might be the most underrated edge duo in football. Like they got a lot of unsung heroes on that side of the ball that just consistently get the job done. And what they did to the 49ers is – they were able to consistently get into bare fronts, those five-man fronts, without having to compensate um, pass coverage responsibilities. So what they would do, they come out with four linemen, but then they'd have Jermaine Pratt walk down to the line of scrimmage. So anytime George Kittle motioned, Jermaine Pratt would just walk down. Of course, they can get into the traditional five-man fronts with five defensive linemen on the field. And that just completely shut down the outside zone game that the 49ers and the Shanahan schemes have really come to love. You know, and that's that's really the biggest way you can stop the Shanahan outside zone stuff is five man bare fronts and disciplined play. And they have really disciplined guys up front and they really couldn't get into the gap scheme plays because not having Trent Williams matters. That is a plus one in any run game that you try and involve. They're really they're really good. They're so talented. They're so defensively sound. Lou Anarumo. He had Brock Purdy seeing a lot of things that just he wasn't used to seeing. There was a play where um, it was almost a, 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 excuse me, a Logan Wilson interception early in the game where it mm. looks like the Bengals are sending pressure. It's like they have like six guys up the line of scrimmage, and they drop into drop eight, cover three. Brock Purdy doesn't see it, and he almost throws an interception to Logan Wilson. That was the entire game. That's what Lou Anarumo and this Bengals defense can do. They can just – constrict and make things tighter on you because you just don't know what you're seeing every single play. So what's more sustainable, the Bengals offense being back or the Bengals defense being one of the NFL's best over the next several weeks? I mean, I feel like we've kind of seen it. The, the Bengals defense is good. Like they've yeah. been good. The, the only reason that they haven't put up the numbers is because they've been on the field so much because the hmm. offense was just cratering because Joe Burrow wasn't healthy. But now yeah. that Joe Burrow is healthy, you're going to start seeing those numbers start to go back up to where they were last year. It's more, it's not which one is better. It's they complement each other really well. So mm. instead of really being like a super, like they're not a very high variance play defense where they get sacks and interceptions and turnovers. They are consistently you're only going to get like two to three yards of play they'll have a turnover they'll have a sack here and there but they're just not going to let you score and then when you punt you're wasting opportunities because you're giving the ball back to joe burrow on that offense who will figure something out because what the offense does so well is 
they really do know how to get the ball into the, their best player's hands in whatever way possible. There are so many Jamar Chase screens that was basically like an ex- another extension of the run game. And Jamar mm-hmm. Chase is an extremely difficult player to break tackle in one-on-one situations. It's a very underrated part of Jamar Chase's game. It's him after the catch being so damn strong. You know, he's basically like a he's built like a running back, but it's more complimentary. So if I had to choose one being more sustainable, I guess it's the defense. But mm. I think with the offense getting healthier, with Joe Burrow getting healthier, you're going to start seeing that offense return to being one of the best in football. I like it. Um, before we get into uh, the Jaguars-Steelers game and uh, just some some minutes of sadness for uh, Jarrett Bailey uh, here uh, on this program. Once you embrace the darkness, once you become part of it, it can't hurt you anymore. There you go. Well, I'm not there yet because my team is going to win the NFC South at like seven and 10 because no one wants to win the NFC South. Like everyone is bad. The bucks are bad, but what did I say on this podcast before the year? I did not see a path to the Falcons, not winning the NFC South. They are Um, making it as painful as humanly possible as much as jp thinks that uh that dub for the panthers yesterday was the start of something new and that a seven game win streak is on the horizon or the the saints getting a a rare dub or the bucks who are on a current losing streak like i i don't know who he's who he's uh uh pointing out here but we'll save that for a second because right now the uh atlanta falcons are still in the driver's seat they lose a terrible game uh on sunday afternoon where i'm just losing my mind because Here's the thing for me that got lost in the shuffle as someone who has watched every snap of the Atlanta Falcons this year um, and watched every snap of this game on Sunday afternoon. One of the things that's gotten lost in the in the, the shuffle here uh, nationally is that the Falcons have one of the all-time worst special teams days I've ever seen, where the difference between Taylor Heineke and Taylor uh, <laughs> uh, cooking in the second half versus what Desmond Ritter, who again was not good. I'm not a Desmond Ritter diehard defender, but Mike Hughes fair caught a ball inside the 10. He fair caught a, another ball at the one that was two consecutive. Mike Hughes returns. Guess who was not returning punts after two fair catches inside the 10. That was Mike Hughes. He was out. Scotty Miller was in at that point. Key Smith, some dumb kickoff return calls. Like when I talk about how bad the special teams was in the first half and where Desmond Ritter started, like that was just an all time. Like I can't believe what I'm watching as an NFL team. It's just some of these special team returns where this is basic, basic stuff where you're just putting this offense in a hole over and over again. And also DeAndre Hopkins. The most egregious offensive pass interference call I've ever seen He's not called in his game going. It got- was unbelievable. Like AJ Terrell, it was it's Halloween, folks, so I understand like we, it's spooky season, but DeAndre, you don't actually have to rip off AJ's head to make a touchdown. Like you, you don't have to get that that serious. But that's what happened when he actually scored. And the worst part was the announce team was like I don't know that, that. What a great play! And they bring on Gene Tessa or Gene, not Tessator, Gene uh, Teratore. Yeah. and he's like, "No, I think that's pretty clear cut uh, offensive pass interference." I would have called it. And they're like, "Really? You would call where AJ Terrell gets spun around by uh, DeAndre Hopkins and he basically jumps up? Like, what? What are we doing? Like, yeah, that was obvious. But 
Will Levis threw some dimes in this game. Like Will Levis deserves credit. He threw really well. Taji Sharp was a really good back. I like Taji Sharp. He's a he's a good uh, back for um, uh, to back up Derrick Henry. But all that being said, an unacceptable loss, an inexcusable loss. It was terrible. Van Jefferson. I mean, no words. Uh, running before the catch on a fourth down, but the game was really. I, I didn't think the Falcons were going to get it there, but I'm just sad because. They're just in it every week. They're probably going to trade for like Montez Sweat tomorrow and like give up a third rounder. And I mean, him and Clayus Campbell and company, maybe that's still a pretty solid pass rush. The defense is still uh, really good outside of the uh, Richie Grant and Jesse Bates, who got cooked over and over again on deep bombs yesterday. But outside of that, like, I have no idea what to do because the season's very much not over. This team's going to host a playoff game and it might be Taylor Heineke. It might be Desmond Ritter. I don't know, but I am not enjoying this right now. I am not well. I hate to pour cold water on the, we're still going to host a playoff game Mm. because right now you're tied with the saints for first place in the division. Not worried about the saints. Saints are a bad football team. What do you think the the Falcons Falcons are? The Falcons at least, I don't think they're bad. The Falcons are very close. The Falcons are very close. No, they're bad. Right, right, I don't man. think they're bad. They're a solid right. C plus right now. The the Saints are a D plus. Falcons are the, a C plus. The Falcons they're, are they're the mid NFC right now. Of the Steelers. They're not good. I don't think that's true. All right, man. Either way, November twenty sixth and January seventh, the Falcons play the Saints both times. Mm. I think one of those is like the last game of the regular. We season. We play the Saints last. Yeah, they're yeah. the last game of the regular season. This is going to be the same thing. Not same caliber of teams at all. But this is going to be the same thing as like the Jaguars and the Titans last year. This game is going to end, the January 7th game is going to end up on like Monday night football because mm. like it's a winner take all game at that point. Yeah. Because nobody wants to win the division. Um, the special team stuff, like you said, for Atlanta was really weird. The main question I have is why is it Cordero Patterson doing some of that stuff? That's a good like, question. Again, the personnel usage on this yeah. team is so fucking stupid. Mainly, why do you have Jonu Smith? I knew this is what you were going to say. I knew this was coming. I knew when you brought this up. In the red zone with Kyle Pitts blocking. Mm -hmm. It just feels like every time Arthur Smith does something, he is trying to outsmart everybody else at home. Like, oh, I'm so much smarter than you. That's why I have this job. No, just do, just call the smart, just call the effective stuff. Don't. You have too much dip on your chip. You don't have to. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do the trick play inside mm. the eight yard line. It's not going to work, especially when you have tight end two throwing the tight end three while tight end one is blocking. Not only tight end one, but the highest tight drafted tight end ever. Yeah, like it's just it's so stupid. And I think the biggest thing for the Falcons is they don't have any answers for teams who can stop the run. Uh, the Titans, for as bad as they are have a mean-ass defensive front. They can get after you in both facets of the run and passing game. Jeffrey Simmons had a career day because Jeffrey Simmons is really good. I mean, he was going up against Chris Lindstrom, who is good. He's really good and just dusting him. You know, they gave up five sacks on the day. They don't have any answers for teams who can stop the run. Bijan Robinson, I think, had 65 yards on 11 carries. He also did not receive a target in the passing game. It's just... It's really bad. So I'm not going to say it's all on Desmond Ritter, but he definitely is not helping. He didn't look great before he got hurt. 
and was taken out the game, but was also cleared, but didn't return to the game because Taylor Heineke had a hot hand apparently. And now nobody's, they're being very noncommittal about who's going to start next week. It's all just very weird. Again, I feel like Arthur Smith is trying to outsmart everyone, but when you don't really have to, but I mean, like you said, the biggest thing, the biggest win for the Saints this week, not Saints, the Falcons this week was you play in the NFC South. Mm. You're four and four and you're still going to get a chance to win the division because you don't play the Saints until like November 26th and January 7th. You got a lot of time here and nobody else in the division is really going to be that uber competitive outside of the Saints. And even the Saints, like they're very up and down. Like the explosive performance we saw against the Colts came after Derek Carr was yelling at Chris Olave for not running a pa- running full speed on the pass where he wasn't even in the progression. Derek Carr wasn't even supposed to look that way. And he he yelling at everybody else. That's on you, big bro. But it's just the Falcons are weird. They're a weird team yeah. that like you, they should be better than what they are, but they're constantly they're constantly trying to outsmart themselves. Yeah. And, uh, like, watching the Titans' drives back today, like, Will Levis had time. Like, you look at that first touchdown, just dime to DeAndre Hopkins. He had a clean pocket. He had time to throw. And when you give a guy like that time to throw, and he's got a piss missile on his shoulder and he, he put it on display even when he didn't have time to throw like i think it was his last touchdown pass of the day when like he was rolling out right and stopping through back across the field to nuke in the end zone like that's a big boy throw from will levis so i'll give him his flowers because i talked a lot of shit on will levis coming into the week uh i shouldn't say talk a lot of shit i what did i compare him to um oh you know the meme of like the guy in the bar with the, the shades uh, on his head he's holding the beer like yelling in the girl's ear that's will levis in the pocket the girl is like the the uh the pass rush coming to him and he's just completely oblivious he played really well and um he's i think he's now one of only three players in nfl history to have four touchdown passes in their debut with marcus Mariota and fran tarkenton so i mean uh he, he did something really special against a defense that came into the week you know top 10 success rate and one of the best defenses in terms of EPA. So it was just a weird game where the Falcons defense just, I don't know, maybe maybe they expected Will Levis to not be that great and kind of lulled themselves to sleep on him. I don't know. But he carved them up. And, uh, you know, you talked about Jesse Bates and Richie Grant. I, I still think that that's a re- really good safety duo to have on the back end. It's just it wasn't their day. And Kudos to Will Levis and the uh, Titans offense for for getting it done. So I'm also going to sound like a hater here. If you actually like look at Will Levis's completed passes, it looks a lot like the James Harden era Rockets. Oh, where like it's either a three pointer from 40 feet out mm. or a layup. I think That's he had like what seven like, completions of less than zero area or zero or less air yards and like eight of twenty yards downfield or something yeah, crazy he, like that. It wasn't that great. If you just limit the explosive plays, he didn't. He was just he was fine. He did mm-hmm. what we all knew he could do, which is he has incredibly strong arms and he can throw the ball very far. Outside of that, he he wasn't asked to do much, you know. But that might be enough for the Titans if you can actually get some explosiveness into the offense. 
I am interested to see where his development goes because you're not going to be able to – that deep ball variance is not going to work not only year to year, but week over week. You're not going to be able to hit those throws every time, every week. So now you have to start working on getting in between game. So I'm not going to crown him yet. I want to see sure. him get more consistent, you know, and not be babied a little bit with the layups. You know, the, the three-pointers were cool. But now we want to start seeing the, the, the maturation, the in-between game. I think the thing I worry about, though, with, with the in-between game is, like, they don't have the horses to do that right now. Like, Traylon Burks is a complete non-factor outside of DeAndre Hawkins and the deep ball game and the 50-50 balls. Like, they, the past game doesn't really have any reliable targets. Out I mean, they have talent. It's not like they're, like, Traylon Burks, DeAndre, and the tight end who had a bad drop, but he still was open Table a lot. Tanquo, was yeah. It? He's I think good. he's. I think he's pretty good. He's solid. He's good. It's just, yeah. I, I just got to see it again. I hate yeah. to be the oh do it again guy, but it just you're not going to be able to hit those deep throws every week. Yeah, that's just, that I, variance is going to happen. I just don't think that there's any defensive coordinator who's staring at a ceiling at night thinking, how do I stop Chig or how do I stop Traylon Burks now? But having Tajay Spears come alive as a really nice feature back in the offense to compliment Derrick Henry has been really nice. And having having that sort of guy who can be kind of a dual threat back who can make plays in the receiving game too, that's that's good to have. And we're starting to see them feature him more and more. Um but they need they need they need more horses to be able to uh to build around to kind of give Will Levis more safety blankets, I guess. Because right now, yeah, like JP said, the 60 yard bomb to DeAndre Hawkins, you're not gonna be able to do that every game. And they, they need more around him to uh, help him develop. What I will say about Levis and in this game, the explosiveness of the offense helped free up lanes for Derrick Henry, who had 22 carries for 101 yards, 4.6 yards a carry. That's pretty good. And if you can open up lanes for that guy a bit more often, maybe that'll help Will Levis out. So I just don't want the Titans to – and it's speaking as objective like NFL like viewer, not Jaguars fan – they should not fall into the cycle of purgatory. If they think they can sell off parts to start the rebuild, they should probably do that. I know there was a report that um, Derrick Henry was involved in trade talks, but there was there was one specifically where it almost went through. I think the rumors that I saw were that the Ravens were really close to trading for Derrick Henry, mm. but the Titans owner kind of vetoed it. Yeah. Sure, man. If you if you think you can make that run in an AFC that is absolutely loaded, go for it. Keep Derrick Henry around, but I don't know if you're going to be able to do that. So he also might want to stick around. We don't know. I mean, it sounded like it was an executive like veto from the yeah. owner. Like we want to keep this guy around because he is the face of the franchise. He's been the yeah. face of the franchise. So I also don't think it's like the Ravens are a Derrick Henry away from winning a title. Oh. Right Actually, you put Derrick Henry in the Ravens. You put Derrick Henry on the Ravens. That, that team is that team is one of the that team is arguably the best team in the league. But, do you think so? Run. Do you think they can't find a, a, a someone a B plus version of Derrick Henry on the market and not give no. up as much? No. No, you're not finding a B plus. Who's the alternative here? Who's the alternative Derrick Henry for the Ravens at running back on the trade market? That's a trade that for? Makes, yeah. Saquon Barkley. <laughs> you're not trading for Saquon. They're not. They're not going to trade for Saquon. They should. I like I to say that. Say, how many carries did he get yesterday? I think 37. Not enough. 
that man got a high school running back uh workload, Not enough. which they was should, wild. They should have the let him they should have let him play quarterback like Derrick Henry did at mm-hmm. Uli. Let line line him up at quarterback and see what happens. I think Saquon's price tag would be asking a lot. Mm, maybe. Like I think the Giants would ask a lot for Saquon because I think the Giants it's it's kind of like the whole uh Jonathan Taylor thing where mm. the Colts would mm. ask for like multiple first rounders right. when you did not want to pay this guy like a first round pick. Well, speaking so, of, is Jonathan Taylor available? Is that No, an he just he just signed he, like a deal that makes him the highest paid running back in the league. So you can't do it. Okay. You yeah. I think they were and plus Derrick Henry on that team in that run game with the threat of Lamar Jackson as a runner. Yeah, like it would be nasty. Well, Evan's not here. How about uh, the Niners trade CMC, CMC to the Ravens? Uh, they right. they go ahead and sell off the the Seahawks have clearly won the division, um, and they're really I mean that was a big big win for them with uh, JSN uh, to get the dub for the Seahawks. So if you're the Niners, I think now is when you sell parts. You start trading whether that's Bosa, you trade Warner, Debo. You really need to get ahead of this uh, long term rebuild if you're San Francisco and uh, accept your your space in the NFC West. They should trade for Trey Lance. That guy has a lot of potential. <laughs> Evan's like driving off the highway listening to this. Tomorrow. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, by, the, by the way, we're talking about, you know, teams that you know, trade deadline. One. I wouldn't be surprised if Baltimore traded for one of the Washington defensive linemen because there was murmurs about maybe mm. Chase Young, maybe Montez Sweat, maybe John Allen. I think you put one of them on Baltimore's already really solid defensive line with Justin Matabuke and seeing what obviously Rokon Smith's really good on the front seven like you add one of those guys if I'm Baltimore I'm big buyers at the deadline right now because you can get stronger there's guys that would fit their MO uh on both sides of the ball I would be very very active if I'm Baltimore but then like what's the difference like if you're Baltimore do you look at your I mean every year with Lamar at this point with this group I think they're talented enough but y'all can speak more to this is that like with the Bengals coming on Chiefs weird loss yesterday the Broncos but still uh gonna be right there in the thick of things the Bills playing good football they went on Thursday Dolphins uh still playing really well I don't know do they uh, does this Ravens team feel like they can get to the top of the AFC still this year are they a defensive lineman away I feel like they already are at Mm. or near the top of the AFC I mean we can talk about the Bengals being back as as much as we want the Ravens and Mike McDonald play the Bengals the best defensively. Mm. That has been like Joe Burrow has not been as effective against Mike McDonald's Baltimore Ravens as any other defense. Why is that? In the NFL. I think it's because Mike McDonald shows them so many different looks. It's forcing him to work after the snap. And they have athletic, they have a lot of athleticism. And you can't just big body those guys on the outside. Mm. No, you can't. You can't do that. So it forces them to work after the snap. Their defensive line is really good, especially up front against the run. Justin Matabuike is a rising star, and Travis Jones plays really well against the run. I think they're at the top, or at, at the top, or among the top in sacks. And you cannot name who leads that team in sacks. It's probably Jadavian Clowney. Which, hey, you're getting wow. great play out of Jadavian Clowney and Kyle Van Noy, who was just signed last week so this defense is really good the ravens are the ravens are at the top if not the top team in the afc they 
they're all they're going to be there. They have the talent on defense and the coaching on defense. And Lamar Jackson's playing like the NFL MVP. So there you go. Um, also, their defense is going to just add more context to the defense. Second in the league in EPA per play, second in the league in EPA per dropback. So they're that defense is nasty. I know that there was kind of like maybe a few questions about their defense coming in, especially like the secondary and staying healthy and whatnot. My, I was asking those questions, but Mike McDonald in that unit is definitely stepped to the plate. Um, and even and, the secondary, like the guys that we had questions about, they're playing really well. Arthur Mallette yeah. playing the best football of his career. Geno Stone, who's in, who's like playing for Marcus he's Williams. Leading the NFL in interceptions right now, Geno Stone is, by the way. It's insane. Insane. Kyle Hamilton's playing like a pro bowler this year. You're getting great play out of Marlon Humphrey when he's in. They're just they're just really good from top to bottom. Well, someone who's not good top to bottom, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Jarrett Bailey. So um, what happened in the Steelers Jaguars game on Sunday afternoon? Why did the why were the Jaguars able to put the uh, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers in the locker on uh, Sunday afternoon? First of all, I totally forgot, like up there, like behind me, like the Steelers helmet right here, Jaguars helmet right there. I didn't, didn't even plan that. And you also got um, the Oilers look for this week. So you, you, I do. Prepared. I've got the, uh, got the Seahawks one right here, too. Yeah, little throwbacks. It's a good week it's a for that. It's a throwback party. Mm. Um, no, it's the same thing that happens every week with the Steelers. The offense starts off horribly. The defense does their best to keep them in the game, and it's not enough. Some weeks it is, and the offense is kept close enough where they can get a drive in the fourth quarter that puts up points and puts them in the league and the defense does just enough to, to give them the win this week. It wasn't enough. Uh, their first four drives, they went three and out all four drives. Um, the Steelers had three takeaways in the day. Steve, uh, the offense did nothing with those takeaways. They got a field goal off of three turnovers. Um, it's the same thing every week, man. Um, the first play from scrimmage, the Steelers, Kenny Pickett throws down the seam to, to Deontay Johnson, who would have had, Minimum, a big gain to get into like midfield to the 45-yard line-ish. Best case scenario, he outruns uh, the Jaguars two defensive backs down the seam and gets a, an opening play touchdown. That's cool, except he dropped it. And then on third down, Kenny Pickett goes back to Deontay Johnson, who is in good, good enough position to make the catch. Would have been a first down, and he drops it. And I think that was just kind of an omen of what was going to come for the Steelers. Pickett gets hurt uh, late in the first half. That obviously doesn't help because Mitch Trubisky, more than anybody in the league, telegraphs where he's going to go with the ball and stares holes through. Like He threw an interception midway through the fourth quarter that pretty much sealed the deal. The Steelers were down a touchdown. and I think they ran play action. And I believe it was Allen Robinson going on an inbreaker down the middle of the field. Trubisky just stares at him for like three seconds, unleashes, and uh, the backside safety comes across and picks it off which there should be more questions about why the backside safety is so available at that time, but that's Matt Canada scheming questions. Um, and then the Jaguars kick a field goal. It's 20 to 10. That's game. Um, it's, it's the same thing every week with the Steelers at this point where they put themselves in holes early. They can't get going fast. And the, the offense isn't good enough, both personnel wise and schematically to catch up the teams. So if you can get a 10 point lead on the Steelers, then you're probably going to win if you don't do anything fluky or shoot yourself in the foot like the Ravens did a few weeks ago where, you know, okay, fluky things happen, a block punt happens, that's a safety. Lamar throws a really bad interception in the end zone, shooting yourselves in the foot, and um, eventually the Steelers finally cashed in. They couldn't do that this week. They didn't have Pickett. Um, 
who, I mean, I'm not, by no means am I defending Kenny Pickett to the end of the earth, but he's better than Mitch Trubisky in a lot of ways. And he protects the ball a lot better than Mitch Trubisky. So if Pickett doesn't get hurt, I don't think they win, but I think they have a little bit of a better chance to do it. Um, yeah, the defense did all they could. They had three takeaways. Jacksonville, I mean, Jacksonville had their moments, obviously. Like ETN had the long touchdown pass where DeMonte Casey came up on the cover two and just completely left the backside wide open with no help. Um, Joey Porter Jr. came out today and said that that was his fault, that he should have dropped back since Casey came up. So there, there's miscommunications defensively that still happen for this defense. It's same thing every week. It's the same book every week. I don't know why I've been cursed with writing the exact same thing every week, but here I am talking about the same mistakes over and over again for the Steelers. And now they play the Tennessee Titans on Thursday night. If they win, they're five and three. And then after that, they got green Bay on a, like a mini bye week at home as well. So I mean, are they, they a playoff team? Is this schedule going to put them? Uh, I would say that knowing that the Falcons have the easiest schedule in football and proceed to just right. completely throw it all away week over week. So, I mean, does it make you feel better that they have this kind of schedule? Or do no. you think this is still trending the wrong way? I don't want them to win games, Chase. I want them to suck. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's not going to happen with Tomlin and company, though. You know yeah, that they're not going to suck. That's the biggest problem with this team, man is that for the last five years, they've patted themselves on the back for being mediocre, getting nine wins, extending a meaningless streak that doesn't mean shit. And when they do get to the playoffs, they get boat raced by actual teams that are good. So are they going to be a playoff team? It wouldn't surprise me because if they win the next two games, they're six and three. And as long as they go 500 the rest of the way, they'll probably be the Aren't the Vikings in the playoffs if the playoffs started today? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The NFC is weird, though. Um, I also think maybe uh, we're workshopping this is maybe the Mike Tomlin era Steelers are like just two years behind the Belichick era Patriots right now. Like the, we're just going to keep best, saying they're going to stay mid for a, a forever. And then the bottom's just going to fall out in a year or two. And they're just actually going to be one of the worst teams the, in football. The best thing that this, that could happen to the Steelers is going like seven and 10 this year, getting rid of that streak that only Mike Tomlin diehard defenders care about. And maybe that'll make themselves stare themselves in the mirror and say, okay, what are we doing here? Because obviously Kenny Pickett isn't it at quarterback. By the way, there was a play. They were down six, nothing. Steelers had the ball in the red zone. Matt Canada designed a really good play. Deontay Johnson was wide ass open. Connor Hayward runs the rub to perfection. Deontay Johnson comes out out of his break wide open, takes five steps, still open. Kenny Pickett still looking to the right. Looks to his left. Deontay Johnson's still wide open. Throws it behind him. Steelers settle for a field goal. It's just the same thing over and over. Uh, yeah, it's the Roman Reigns promo. It's like missionary position over and over and over. It's the same thing, man. It's He's not getting better. And all, it'll happen every day, by the way, where people come into my Twitter mentions and say, oh, it's Matt Canada's fault. He doesn't have time behind the offensive line. Well, he had a throw to George Pickens where he had plenty of time, and he just noodle-armed it. If he throws it it, like not to the outside and downfield, George Pickens has grass in front of him and he's walking into the end zone. But nope, I think it was Darius Williams that was in coverage on him, throws it right into his helmet, gets deflected, Steelers punt. He's not getting better. And look, Matt Canada's not good. The offensive line's not good. Neither is Kenny Pickett. Those things don't have to be mutually exclusive to each other. That's those three big problems for the Steelers and why the offense stinks. The offensive coordinator isn't good. The offensive line still has a lot of problems, especially with Mason Cole at center because he stinks. 
and Kenny Pickett's not getting any better. There's been no signs of progression of him. Will Levis threw four touchdowns in his first career start. That is two more touchdown passes than Kenny Pickett has ever had in a, in a game. That's pathetic. And I'm, I'm just very over all these Pitt fans who are also Steelers fans defending Kenny Pickett to the end of the earth and crying, oh, woe is me about Kenny Pickett. No, he sticks. So does everything else, but so does he. So about this game, a couple of things. I know I'm going to sound like a homer here, but that game was not as close as that final score. The Jaguars, walk, the Jaguars walked up and down the field. Yeah. Like It took a really wacky Trevor Lawrence interception in the, red, in the end zone, a fumble that was not a fumble, and another fumble, and that's why the score was 20 to 10. It should have been at least like 35. This, te- this team was dunking on the Steelers up and down the field. Second thing, the biggest reason why the Jaguars won this game and the Steelers were not competitive, there are levels to this. Like the Kenny Pickett throw that uh, Jarrett just talked about where he noodle arms it and Darius Williams is able to break it up. Same type of play happens with Trevor Lawrence as quarterback. Slot fade. Trevor Lawrence gets hit as he throws. It ends up being a 25-yard completion to Christian Kirk. There are levels, and the, until the Steelers can get to that level, until their quarterback can get to that level, they just are going to – this is the glass ceiling mm. for the Steelers. This is going to be the limit for them. They can't get past the really good teams because they don't have the offense or the quarterback necessary to try and make it past those points. Because, again, Jaguars walked up and down the field. It was not – like this was not a great Steelers defensive game. Like, the Jaguars were really good offensively. And they did the normal Jaguars thing, which is they get to the red zone, forget how to play football, but you're playing the Steelers. It's, that's the thing. The Steelers are only good when you turn the ball over in your territory. It's not just turning the ball over. You have to turn the ball over on your side of the field and give them short fields to work with. And Tomlin, Tomlin talks about that, too, in his presser. Like, he said, yeah, the, the turnovers were appreciated, but we were in negative territory, and all three of them couldn't do anything offensively. Now, they did do – they got the field goal at the end of the half with one of the turnovers, but, like, yeah, they, they could not do anything. They – the Jaguars are that caliber of team where you have to beat them. You cannot – they're going to beat themselves already. They tried to do that. They tried to beat themselves, but the Steelers were not helping at all. You know, it's again, this Jaguars offense still has not figured it out yet and was re- and still insanely efficient against the Steelers defense. The run game was working. Evan Ingram have? I think Evan Ingram had like eight catches. And Evan Ingram didn't even play that good for most of the game. He was, there were a lot of drops. Uh, early in the game because of the rain it was just a really weird like it felt like a really weird early rain game Evan Ingram finished with 10 catches for 88 yards Calvin Ridley had six catches for 83 yards Travis Etienne had three catches for 70 yards and that's not even counting Christian Kirk who had four for 46 everybody is involved and this is without Zay Jones and Walker Little who didn't play in this game the the Jaguars are legitimately very very good and that defense is very very good they make it so hard on you and for a team that you know does hadn't had a lot of pass rush this year jaguars pass rush got after it on sunday trayvon walker had a great game josh allen once again i think he's like 
at or near the league lead in sacks. I think he has like nine sacks on the year, which hmm. is among the tops in the league. And they're all they're again rumored for in the market for one of those pass rushers, whether it be a Josh Uche from the Patriots. I know they were linked to Daniil Hunter before the season. I don't know if they're still going to be linked to Daniil Hunter. But well, I think the Falcons are down to Daniil or Sweat. I saw like they're trading for one of the two, and it's gonna be I, maybe it's Hunter. I would actually prefer Hunter than Sweat. The Daniil like, Hunter thing is really interesting because now with Kirk Cousins gone for the year, do the Vikings kind of throw in the towel and say like, yeah, this is it. Like we're gonna start the rebuild. When can but, Jefferson come back? Uh, I think he went on four week IR before okay. the 49ers game. Even then, though, like, it doesn't matter when Jaron Hall is out there throwing passes. Did you see the Jameis Winston rumor for him? Uh, for them, I don't hate Jameis as a flyer for the Viking season. I said that on the SB Nation podcast today. I'm like, if you if you want to be competitive and see, like, hey, maybe we can make the playoffs with this, Mm. why not go sign Jameis Winston? At least it'll be fun. Yeah, it might not be great all the time. It'll be crazy fun. It might not be great all the time, but it'll be fun. And we haven't seen Jameis Winston in a Shanahan McVay style offense, so. Well, with Tyson uh, taking over the Bears job, trade for Justin Fields and interdivision trade. Bring Justin Fields don't to Minnesota. Ever, don't ever try and sell me on Tyson Bajip again. Don't, don't, don't let that come out your mouth again. But the, Jag- the Jaguars are really good, and this game was just – there are levels to this. The Steelers are in that middle class of the AFC, and until they get a real quarterback and a real offense, that's where they're going to be. For they're going to be the purgatory. They're going. To I mean, be- the AFC is a bloodbath come playoff time. Like we're looking at Jags, Ravens, Bengals, Chiefs, uh, Page or Patriots, uh, Dolphins, Bills. Like that is a murderer's row. Uh, and that's not even counting teams. That's not even counting the Chargers, who are three and four, but have one well, of the best on. quarterbacks. Well, hold on. Okay, uh, hold on, hold on. Are we throwing the Again. Chargers in with that group? JP is someone who watched his team come back from uh, multiple scores down in one of the all-time great comebacks. Are we throwing the Chargers in there for the playoffs in this conversation? Are we doing as, that? As long as Justin Herbert is healthy. Yeah. You talk about Brandon yeah. Staley on this. Thank you for not coaching segment each and every week. Are we still throwing the Chargers in here? I said the same thing last year, and they made the playoffs. That's true. Like this, are the Broncos making the playoffs? Don't start with me. No. <laughs> that. The Chargers are still going to be in that playoff discussion. Um, By the way, Houston. Houston's frisky. Houston's frisky. Um, Bad loss yesterday, though. As long as the Jets keep winning games. The Jets will hang around. Like, look, I don't know how they're doing it. But well, we know that they should not have won yesterday, right? Like, There's no question they should not have gotten that snap off, right? Like, that's ridiculous. I don't know how they continue to do it. Yeah. But they continue to do it. Like, yeah. if we look at, I'm going to look up their schedule now. Like, I don't know, man. Right now, they're four and three, mm. and they've played arguably the hardest part of that schedule. They got the Chargers on Monday Night Football next week. Yeah, the Chargers Monday Night Football, and that's the Chargers, so anything can happen. And then you have the, Ra- the Raiders, the Bills, the Dolphins, Falcons, Texans, Dolphins, Commanders, Browns, Patriots. That's it's not a super tough schedule. No. And I know this is never going to happen. It's not going to happen. I keep telling myself it's not going to happen. Mm. But if Aaron Rodgers, shaman voodoo doctor, actually gave him the ability to come back late in this season, 
even, even if he doesn't, like that that team is going to be frisky. Like this is it's a bloodbath of teams. So, you yeah. know, unless the Steelers like have a legit option at quarterback, they are going to remain in that second class of teams who are going to be in the hunt, but not good enough. You're always going to be there. Um, Jarrett, who you got? Eagles or Cowboys after their showings this week? Who do you who do you lean toward as the more the the more impressive team at this present time on October now thirty first when we're recording this? Happy Halloween! Thanks. Uh, I'd still say Philadelphia just because I need Dallas to prove to me that they're more than just a team that can get into the playoffs and then get eliminated in the divisional round. Like I've seen Philadelphia get there and. Right now, like Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown are just on a different level. Where if you throw the ball up near AJ Brown, he's coming down with it. Like, like the catch that he had in the end zone on Sunday was gross, and he's he's you can he might be the best receiver in football right now, pound for pound. Like he's on another level uh, with his play. Um, the offense got going. Like Hurts on a bum knee through four touchdowns. Um, I found a way to still somehow get the ground game relatively. How do I want to say this? I'm worried about him when it comes to the run game just because we saw him hobble um, on multiple scrambles against Washington. But as long as they're able to have a balanced attack where the passing game is keeping them honest and you know they're going to see light fronts because of it, then they're still going to be able to run the ball effectively. Um, defensively, they just added Kevin Byard to a back end. Um, that's really good. The front seven's really good. Like We know what the Eagles are. They are just as good roster-wise as just about any team in the league. You know, San Francisco is probably the only team with a better 1-53 to in football when completely healthy. Um, but the Eagles got the quarterback. And right now that quarterback is playing otherworldly. He just threw four touchdowns, no picks. A.J. Brown's really good. Devontae Smith is maybe the best number two in football outside of Jalen Waddle. I know that's kind of like a debate that's had a lot, but he's really good. Dallas Goddard, one of the best tight ends, best offensive line. Like I think that right now they're still pretty comfortably better than Dallas. So, but oh, okay, Jimmy, can I say this with Dallas real quick? Go ahead. So here's the weird part about this: is the Eagles when they look rough, like they still like find a way. They're just more gritty. Like they're a grittier team. I, I trust them to win grittier games. Dallas cannot win a gritty game to save their life because if yeah. you look at their games. Dallas is all or nothing. They're either going to kick the ever-living crap out of you or they are going to lose to the Cardinals on the road. They beat the Giants 40 to nothing. They beat the Jets 30 to 10. They beat the Pats 38 to 3. They get crushed by the Niners 42 to 10. And then they crush the Rams 43-20. Like there's no middle ground with this Cowboys team. So I'm like the best version of the Cowboys is still the best team in the NFC. Like they when they are on they are going to obliterate you. And when they are really just not up for it on Sunday afternoon, they are awful. There's no middle ground for the Cowboys, it seems like. So the problem there is all those teams that you said they blew out. Yeah. They're not that great. Right. The, Cow- the Cowboys beat up on bad teams. Yeah. Cool. But once they actually play teams that are at or above that level, you see the glass ceiling again. Mm. Like, this is I'm not going to say it's a must win game because it's like week nine. Yeah. But this game has the feel of a must win for the Cowboys. Yeah. Either it's not just like a must win. You can't get blown out again. Yeah. You can't lose by 32 points again. You have to show like some proof of concept here. Mm. And 
I agree with Jarrett in saying the Eagles are still the better team because they just have answers for everything. The Commanders are a really weird, tough matchup for the Eagles because they drafted five first-round picks at defensive line, and they are just as good up front. But sending Emmanuel Forbes out there one-on-one against A.J. Brown is malpractice in coaching. (laughs) You can't do that again. I love Emmanuel Forbes, love his instincts. The man is 160 pounds going against Optimus Prime at wide receiver. You can't do that to him. You have to send help. And if you're not sending help, switch. You got, you got to get him off him. It was at one point, it felt like when Shaq was in the low post and you had him switched onto like a guard, you need to send help. Either send help or Shaq is going to dunk on you. And that's what A.J. Brown did the entire game. They just, like you said, Chase, they just find ways to win. It's not yeah. just gritty. They know how to do that. And my biggest thing with the Cowboys as good as they are defending the pass, they still have a lot of issues against the run in the run game. If the Eagles don't, the Eagles don't have to throw the ball to win. They yeah. can just inside zone you to hell and they will win games. But if the Cowboys decide to load up against the run, Trevon Diggs ain't out there anymore. So yeah. who's going to guard AJ Brown? Who's going to guard Devontae Smith? Will we see a lot more Stephon Gilmore and AJ Brown? Or will they go the Bill Belichick route where you put Gilmore on wide receiver two and double AJ Brown. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I think Dallas offensively, they, again, they beat up on bad teams. The Rams, we talked a lot of nice things about the Rams. They are starting the three of us at DB. Like that's, that's not a good room. And CD Lamb took advantage of that. You're not going to see that against the Eagles because again, my problem with the Cowboys offense is it constricts itself. It's so stagnant and it's so tight to where you have, they're not, they weren't scheming CD lamb open until like a couple weeks ago. Mike McCarthy just figured out you can put CD lamb in the slot, but now what are you going to do? If Bradbury or slave follows him, do you have a consistent second option? Michael Gallup isn't going to be that. I don't know if Brandon cooks is going to be that. You have to find ways to beat this team. And the offensive line still isn't healthy. Like, that's going to be a problem going against the monsters that the Eagles have up front. You know, so I'm really excited to watch this game, but I do think there are levels in the NFC, and I don't think the Cowboys are on that level yet. I will say this about Dak, though, in the game that he had against the run. He made a lot of awesome throws. Um, the throw down the scene to Ferguson for the first touchdown was a beaut. Uh, he made a couple really nice throws to C.D. Lamb, one on like a left sideline. The touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks, like over the shoulder, right in the bucket, was really nice. Like Dak made a lot of really awesome throws. That's the reason they scored 43 points. Um, but can you do it against the Eagles? And can you make the smart decisions? And can you protect the football against a really good Eagles defense? Because even if, like JP said, they don't need to throw the ball to beat you. Like. Late in the game against the Dolphins, they just ran it down their throats. And then eventually they ran play action and hit A.J. Brown down the field, and that was no wraps. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you can't stop the run, and if you can't force them to, to do things that they don't want to do, then you know, you're just playing into their hand. So if that can protect the ball, and if the Cowboys defense can at least contain what A.J. Brown has been doing and make him go to, you know, secondary options in the offense, then, yeah, they'll have a chance. But 
I think that Philadelphia is still very much head and shoulders the better team right now. Leonard Williams traded to the Seahawks uh, today. Mm-hmm. Um, big-ish move. Uh, Seahawks now is in sole possession of first place in the NFC West. JP, uh, when you look at uh, Williams and his fit there and then where they're where they're sitting, uh, they won a game they had no business winning on Sunday um, against the Cleveland Browns, who really just uh, – oh, that's a rough, rough way to lose if you're the Browns on the road there. But um, we haven't talked about that. We talked about the Eagles, we talked about the Cowboys, talked about the Niners. But are the Seahawks just sitting there? Can, do you see a path, JP, to the Seahawks beefing up at the trade deadline here and with their healthy crop of talent on both sides, could they actually win the NFC? Are they building a real contender here? So – I regret to inform you that the leaders of the NFC West right now are the Seattle Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Like they, the team is good. Like they have the offense to, They're awesome. they can, they can win the shootout games. I think they did win the shootout games. They beat mm. the lions like 30, the lions are yeah. like they can win the shootout games. They can win the grinded out games, but adding Leonard Williams is such a huge piece. And I love this trade for them because you get another interior presence. You know, hmm. Jermont Jones has been pretty good, and Jaron Reed has tried his best to be the gap shooting one tech. But now Leonard Williams can do that. You have some more positional versatility. You can now have more guys to get after the passer. And as good as I think Seattle's defensive secondary has been, they're quietly very good this year. They talk a lot of shit, and it's awesome. Devin Witherspoon in the nickel has been amazing. Jamal yeah. Adams has been really good in his time back. Reek Woolen got his first interception of the year. They play so well back there. Now you just need to get more pressure up front, and that's what Leonard Williams is going to bring. He's going to bring pressure. He's going to bring another solid interior presence. I know the second and the fifth, like, people are going to, like, gawk at that because you have to sign Leonard Williams after this year, but who are you going to pick with that second-round draft pick who's going to be as good as Leonard Williams, especially in a defensive tackle class coming up there's not a lot of there's not a lot of guys who are going to be that level of talent. Like there's Jerzon Newton from Illinois, Leonard Taylor from Miami, and maybe Mason Smith from LSU. And even Mason Smith is a large if because of the injuries. So this is worth it for mm. the Seahawks, especially because the goal is to win the Super Bowl right now. It is to win the Super Bowl this year. And I think with this trade, they can. They can make a lot of noise in the NFC. They're winning the NFC West right now. And again, the 49ers still have to go through a really tough schedule. Yeah. Like they have a lot of tough games left and they're going to be also speaking of the tough games. Can I give you all the last six for the Cowboys? Like this is fired Cowboys watch here, folks. Last six for them. Seahawks at home, Eagles at home at Buffalo at Miami Lions at home. At Washington. God, oh, Lord. Like, oh, that Lord. is a rough last six weeks. You're betting on those guys resting some starters down the stretch here. You need some help if you're the Cowboys. That's a rough end to their season. Yeah, and even for the 49ers, you know, um, you lose, you lose the first uh, two of Minnesota and Cincinnati. You yeah. get the bye week. You got Jacksonville, Tampa, Seattle, Philly, Seattle, Arizona, Baltimore, Washington, LA. Good luck, man. This is, <laughs> you're going to have to play that team twice. And I think Seattle is in a perfect position. And adding Leonard Williams 
kind of lets you know that they think this is like they can make this run now because mm-hmm. that's the type of guy that you go get to make the run now. Yeah, and you know, like JP said, pointing out everybody else that they already had. You know, you now you have Leonard Williams or Draymond Jones, William Afe, uh, Jaron Reed. Like this is a really good front four for the Seahawks, um, and the defensive backfield is already really good. And offensively, like Jackson Smith and Jigba's coming on. He just had uh, another touchdown. Uh, that one to win the game late against Cleveland. Obviously, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, Kenneth Walker. Uh, the offensive line is still pretty solid. Like Seattle is as well rounded as you could want to be. Um, now Gino has his limits, but it's—I mean—he's a high-end limited quarterback. Like he's kind of in that third tier of guys where you know he's going to throw a beautiful deep ball. He still has that. Um, is he as good as the elite quarterbacks in the NFL? No, but you can do a hell of a lot worse than what Geno Smith has shown over the last calendar year. So, if there was like a fun team to like surprise everybody and come out of the nfc i think it's either going to be detroit or it's going to be seattle and i would be very happy with either of those and even with the offensive line playing like they're getting better they just got charles cross back yeah and abraham lucas still has a return from the knee injury so they're missing their starting right tackle and just got back their starting left tackle this team is still like they have not played to their full potential yet because the defense was still trying to round in the form now you add Leonard Williams, who's going to help solidify up front. This it's a good team. That's capital G good. That I mean, it's I'm excited to see how the NFC unfolds because I think the Lions and the Seahawks are going to be very interesting to see if one of those two can break through over the Eagles. Niners. That's a dream NFC Championship game right yeah. there too. By the way, like if if you get the NFC Championship game hosted by the Lions against the Seahawks. I mean, those are two teams that everybody is on board with. You know what? You know, those are like the darling teams that everybody feels good about and would be totally fine making it out of the NFC. New blood, some parody in the league. I, I think that would be awesome. That's wild. I mean, it's hey, it's in play, folks. Um, Jarrett, yeah. buy or sell. On Thursday, one of the things that feels like forever ago, uh, the Bills were playing with a lot more tempo. Do you think that's something that they should do a lot more going forward? Do you think they found something? And why do you think it helps for Buffalo and Josh Allen, especially to play with more tempo? Yeah. Like we've seen it in the past, like with Dable before he left for, for New York, like when they just played in a rhythm, they were hard to stop. And when Josh, Josh Allen got in a rhythm, he was hard to stop. And when you keep that going and you get into a little bit of a tempo, you see what happens. You get plays from Gabe Davis, who had a monster game. On mm. Thursday, by the way, Gabe Davis has two modes. He either is Jerry <laughs> Rice or a Subway sandwich artist. There is no mm. in between for Gabe Davis. Football, Jr. Smith. That's, that, that's a very good comp. Very good like comp that. for for Gabe Davis. I also I think Josh Allen is the the football Luka Doncic, where he is. How do I want to describe Josh? He's he's just really streaky. Like mm. when Josh is on, he's as good as any quarterback in the league. But when he when he plays like dumb Josh Allen, you're banging your head against a wall asking, Larry, why did you do that? But we saw good Josh Allen. Uh, we saw mobile Josh Allen against Tampa Bay. And we're seeing you know, fans, Bills fans are really clamoring, like, let Josh be Josh. Like, when it comes to being this behemoth that he is, let him run the ball a little bit more. Like, yeah, it puts him a little, in a little bit more of harm's way, but it hasn't come back to bite him yet, which is pretty good. 
Um, and I think that helps, right? If like if he's playing tempo and he has less time to think and get in his own head and just ride those hot streaks, I think that's the scariest version of Buffalo, right? I, I saw it like uh, I think there was a third down play, like a third and six early in the game. He scrambled for eight. Um, the t- the first touchdown run, um, where it was, I think they were on like Tampa Bay's like. 15 or 16 yard line and he just all right didn't say anything i'll take off i'll hit him with a pump fake nine yards past the line of scrimmage that they'll still bite on and then i'll stare down jamel dean as i run into the end zone like we know what a physical freak and gifted athlete josh allen is and i think that he was somewhat limited because they weren't letting him um unleash that that running ability that he has or at least trying to limit it um like i get it you you want your quarterback to be healthy and you don't want to put him in harm's way you don't want him to end up like cam newton who just gets destroyed on the back end of his career and isn't the same but you know this is a guy who is when he is on maybe the best dual threat quarterback in the league and when you let him play like that and let them get into you know constant tempo of things then you're gonna it's gonna open up opportunities not just for for digs but kincaid who's come on in the last couple weeks and had his first career touchdown we've seen james cook become more part of the offense hardy's becoming more of a part of the offense khalil shakir like it's not just, you know, Stefan Diggs or bust when they're on, but like uh, games against New England where it's just a, a pointless, no proof of concept offense. And it's okay. If we don't get the ball to 14, then we're not going to win. You see what the results are. Um, by the way, you know, I talked about Dalton Kincaid already. There's zero reason to make him uh, lose targets to Dawson Knox anymore. Uh, these last two weeks, like, I don't know why they haven't been feeding him. They took him in the first round. They're starting to finally give him the football, and it's paying off. So uh, we talk about teams starting to find their stride and find themselves a little bit, and I think Buffalo is starting to do that. Like They tried their hardest to let Tampa Bay come back, um, but the offense is starting to look to look really good. So my thing with the Bills' offense is it looked good on Thursday, but – you can still do all the same stuff that they did on Thursday with Dawson Knox in the game. It's not like you have to completely change your offense when you go into 12 personnel. You can still put Dalton Kincaid in the slot if you want to. That's what he, that's what he did all Thursday night. He was just a big slot receiver. You can still do that with Dawson Knox in the game. And that's not something that's just mutually exclusive to 11 personnel super spread offense. You can still play Khalil Shakir if you want to. You don't have to play Gabe Davis. Like Nothing is stopping you from not playing Gabe Davis. So I just want to see them continue to try and get that use of 12 personnel because as good as Don Kincaid is as a receiver, he can't block. Not he tries, but he can't. He can't. And that's going to silo them off. It's gonna, you're going to end up like the Bengals before the Bengals figured out you can get under center and do play action stuff. You know, they're, And they're still looking for a tight end. Like, so you can, you can get into 12 personnel if you want to, but – it's just about meshing that stuff together. It feels sometimes like the Bills' offense is siloed between super spread tempo and slow it down, kind of grinding out games. And you don't have to do that. You can still play the tempo stuff at a 12 personnel if you want to. You can play the grind it out at a level 11 personnel if you want to. But it's just, I just wonder, like, again, I wonder how the offense is going to fare when you get later on into the season and they still can't really run the ball that well. And I wonder how long it's going to take until they go break the emergency Josh Allen run game glass. 
And they've been holding off for a long time. Like Josh Allen had a few plays where he ran, like designed QB runs for Josh Allen on Thursday. But I wonder how long can they hold off on that? Because normally in most like big games that they play, Josh Allen's going to be getting some designed QB runs. So I just wonder how long they're going to hold off on that. Yeah, I mean, I you're going to hate this, JP, but I wonder if, I mean, I don't know if you've watched Joe Melton the last two weeks, but I feel like they kept this in the chamber uh, for Tennessee where he is now running and there are so many design runs for Tennessee and it's opened up the playbook so much that you just, maybe he could, his body couldn't handle it for a full 12 games. And they were like, we got to get to the middle of the road. And then when the season starts to get a little dicey and uh, we get the meat of the SEC schedule, that's when we're going to, you're going to have to start putting your body on the line. I think that might be part of it with a lot of these coaches. I, w- I think they wish they could do that weekend, week, week, week out for guys like Josh Allen. Yeah, I think I wonder how that offense is going to continue to develop. And I also wonder how good that defense is going to be still without Matt Milano. And he's gone for the year, either, right? Yeah, he's done for the year. I think he like okay. broke his leg or something. Um, you're, you're without Matt Milano. You're without Tredavious White. Von Miller is still like on a pitch count, which again, he's like 33 years old. That's what you expect. But I think some of the cool things that they did was they moved Jordan Poyer down to be kind of like a pseudo linebacker in their three safety looks because you have to. You need that kind of stability in that second level of the field. Teron Johnson is awesome. He's just he's just an awesome player. Um, I just wonder how long that depth, that lack of depth, is going to like they kind of they're trying to tie it up with band aids, and how long is that until that dam's going to break? when that lack of depth really shows. Yeah. Uh, Jarrett, what can the good folks check out from you across the internet this week? Uh, power rankings on USA Today. Those should be up by the time you're listening to this as a podcast. Um, yeah, 1 to 32, my little nuggets. Um, I compared the Las Vegas Raiders to Sanjaya Malakar from the 2006 season of American Idol. Um, okay, very specific. So there is a, there's a little nugget for you on uh, what, what's a fine on the power rankings. Uh, Steelers stuff behind the steel curtain uh, every day. Um, and then I'll have a few features coming uh, in the coming weeks. I uh, can't say who on air, but I'll tell you guys in the lobby when we're done. So those are coming for USA Today as well. Pump fake uh, as well. Two to three episodes a week. I'm doing a Q&A episode now as well because threads, uh, people on threads ask me questions. So I just started doing a Q&A episode every Wednesday for the pump fake. Um, so I uh, just did an episode with Ben Albright talking about the trade deadline, rumors, stuff of that nature. So you can go watch that on YouTube right now. And then, yeah, we'll do one Tuesdays, Fridays, and then the Q&A show on Wednesday. There you go. JP, what about you over on SBNation.com? So we continue to establish fun every Friday. South Fun, my column that I write about things that I find fun in football, whether it be at the NFL level or the college level. I kind of feel I mean, like you're out here hitting UNLV up. So you're having all kinds of fun when you're yeah, diving into the Barry Odom UNLV running revs. I mean, he's he's, go, go he's offense, scourging baby. the country for content. Go, go offense, baby. That's <laughs> I mean, hey, they're not go bowling. They, they're going to they're going to go bowling. You know, it's going to be fun. Um, Outside of that, um, we're going to be doing some NFL trade deadline stuff at SB Nation. I'm going to be keeping a close eye on the opening uh, college football playoff rankings and have some in- initial takeaways the next day, you know, the, no- the normal surrounding the big 
the big things that are going on in college football, but establish fun every Friday and then Monday Football Monday, the podcast I'm on at SB Nation, me, co-writer Mark Schofield, um, RJ Ochoa and Rochelle Prevett, breaking down everything that happens on Monday morning. Sometimes I host, which I did today, which was really fun. And sometimes I don't, but I'll be there every Monday. So just check it out. There you go. JP, Jarrett, thank you as always. And I'll talk to y'all next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 